You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. That gets me every time. Hey, my name is Jake, and I'm a lead pastor here at Midtown Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm really glad that you're here. I hope you feel welcome. If you're visiting or just checking this out, or if you friend, uh, convinced you to come, I hope you feel comfortable and, and, and really welcome and encouraged in your time with us today. Um, again, uh, dads, let me just say a happy Father's Day to us. We're awesome, and so keep being awesome. I hope, uh, I hope you get treated well today. The... Um, Really looking forward to our time together this morning and the, and, the, um, and the word as we continue this series we've been in for a few weeks called Follow. And in this series, basically what we're doing is we're, we're just looking at the incredible relational nature of the Christian faith. That just how, how re- very relational it is. That the Christian faith doesn't boil down to a set of rules that you have to keep in order to, in order to engage. But it actually it comes down, boils down to a a personal relationship, a relationship where you're invited to know God and invited to uh, be with God and, and invited to follow God. And that's what Jesus, when he shows up on, on the earth and he starts his ministry, he's inviting people all the time. Come, come, come follow me, he's saying. Come follow me. And, and the invitations we saw as we kicked off the series is that invitation went out to everybody, no matter what they were like or what they were doing or what they believed. He didn't say you have to believe something first or you have to live a certain way first before you can begin to follow me, before I would invite you to be with me. I want you to just come, come and get to know me first. And so we say, okay, this is how it begins, and it just highlights the, the very relational nature of the Christian faith. And, um, but today, we're going to get into the fine print. You know the fine print, right? The fine print is uh, <laughs> it's whenever you, you realize, okay, this thing that I thought was an amazing deal um, there is actually going to maybe cost a little bit more than I initially realized, right? There's, there's, a, there's a little hidden fee to it. There's a, there's a cost to, that I didn't really realize up front. And what we've seen in this series, friends, hopefully you've been tracking with this, is that there are just so many benefits in following Jesus. I mean, so many benefits. Like we said two weeks ago, one of the great benefits of following Jesus is that where he wants to take you is that he wants to take you to where you actually know what God the Father is like. And then when you know God the Father, then that sets you free or begins to set you free from fear, which is, you know, awesome. Who doesn't want to be set free from fear and not having to worry? And this is, that's one of the great benefits of following Jesus. And then last week, Justin did a great job teaching on how uh, one of the benefits of following Jesus is that as you follow Jesus, you become more and more aware of just how much Jesus loves you. Like how incredibly you've been loved by Jesus. And as you respond, how Jesus loves you, that frees you and enables you to love others just as you've been loved. And that following Jesus also helps you become a, a better person, right? Like as you follow Jesus, if you see how Jesus loves you, you begin to clothe yourselves in things like humility and compassion and, and kindness and, and, and gentleness and all these things. And like all in response to how God has treated you. And you know that this is how God's treated you because you've been following Jesus, you've been seeing that this is how he relates to you. Like, this is incredible benefits to following Jesus. I mean, you just go on and on and on. But as you look at the stories of Jesus inviting people to follow him, 
or Jesus' teachings when he says, okay, here, here, let me tell you what, it, what it's like to follow me. Eventually, as you follow Jesus, you're going to end up running into something. And you're going to feel like, it's going to feel like, oh, wait, hey, this thing that I'm doing, I've been following, now if I'm going to keep following you, Jesus, it's going to cost me something. It's gonna, there's a cost to this. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and, uh, or you can follow along on your phone, follow along on words on the screen, but we're going to be in Mark, did I say Matthew? I meant Mark, Mark chapter 8. I'm really tired today. There's no idea, I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth this, this morning. It's going to be a while. So, um, but Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And uh, in this passage, we're going to see Jesus kind of give the fine print. He's going to say, okay, I want, <laughs> I want you to all know, there's a cost that's going to come from following me. Now, before we look at it, I also want to give you a little context for Mark 8 because this is a pivotal passage, a pivotal chapter in the book of Mark. Mark has 16 chapters in that book. And Mark's the, and it gives the eyewitness account of Jesus' life and 16 chapters and eight chapters really sent, the first eight really center around the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the big question of Mark chapter 1 through 8. Then the last half of the book, you know, 9 through 16, is really all about another big question, which is what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? And in Mark 8, in the passage we're going to look at, it's the very end of Mark 8, and it's the pivotal passage because in here you're going to see there's a clear answer. Like the answer is given for who is Jesus. It's given right here. We're about to see it. And then Jesus, having, you know, where once his followers have figured that part out, who he is, he then begins to start talking about what he's come to do, where he's headed. He begins to reveal that. And it's in that that we kind of get this kind of fine print, kind of get the, okay, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. So let's look at this together. Mark 8. Now, last thing, <laughs> it's, it's helpful to know that what I'm about to read, it takes place about two years, two years after Jesus' first followers had been following Jesus, okay? Two years, about two years into his ministry, which is just, I'm, I'm going to draw that out in a minute, but it's, keep that in mind because, look, two years in, isn't it interesting this is the question he asked him? It says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? And his disciples answered. They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. Now, okay, a couple of things to point out here. One is when it came to, as you can see clearly, when it came to the crowd that followed Jesus and the people who were talking about Jesus, there was, there was a mixed sense about who he was. Like they, they, no, there wasn't a lot of consensus, right? Like, yeah, people have ideas, Jesus. You're this, this, this. But they all kind of stayed around the same idea that Jesus was a messenger sent from God, a prophet or Elijah, that really, and in context, sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. Then he said, this is, people don't really know who you are, but they kind of think you're from God and you're preparing the way for the Messiah. But Jesus hears them and then turns the question towards them. He says this in verse 29. But you... He asked them again, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And at this, Peter, the most outspoken of Jesus' disciples, he, he probably raised his hand, or I don't, I don't know what it looked like, but he's like, hey, I, I know this one. I know, I know, I know, I know, Jesus, I know who you are. And he says to him, Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. 
You're the Messiah. And that, guys, this is the right answer. So ding, ding, ding for Peter. Like he's figured out. And this is huge because this is the first time Peter makes this confession. First time you see this confession. Any of Jesus' disciples in the book of Mark is like, this, this is, we know who you are now, Jesus. You're the Messiah. Now, before we pin a gold star on Peter for getting the right answer, remember, this was two years into following Jesus. Like two years into this is when he's like, all right, now I know. This is who you are. You're the Messiah. And let me just, let me just, let me just like use that for a minute to kind of just speak to something real quick. Friends, if, if you're here and you're exploring who Jesus is and you, you, have, you don't know yet what you believe about who he is, you're not so sure about him and, if, you know, all that stuff. That, if you're here doing that, man, I, just, I think that's so awesome. We're so glad that you're here. We hope you feel really helped in that. If I can just give you a word of encouragement, here's what I'd tell you. Um, persevere in that. Like it, it took Peter two years, two years, and he was seeing Jesus day in and day out in physical form. And so for you, friends, I would say persevere. And, and, but here's the thing. The what you should persevere in, if I would be so bold, is I, I, would, I would say you persevere in following Jesus, which, again, Jesus invites people to do before they have made up their mind about who he is and what they believe about him. He says, no, come, follow me. His followers have been doing that for two years up to this point. Then they're like, now I know who you are. And so if that's what you are, then I'd say persevere in following him. You think, how do you follow a guy you can't see? <laughs> I know it's a weird, weird deal. We've talked about that for uh, first two weeks of this series, and we'd encourage you to go back and listen to those, but if I was to sum it up a little bit for you, that's where you are. Just persevere and follow him by, one, just open up the Bible and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospel accounts. Those are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And you just read those. And then, if you would, <laughs> I would dare you to just find something in there that you'd be willing to say, okay, you know what? I see Jesus does this a lot. I'm going to try to do that, too. I'm going to try to follow him in that. And as you do, friends, I think your trust and your understanding of who he is is going to grow. And then let me add one more thing that will help you follow. And again, I just want to persevere, encourage you to persevere in following is Do this. Um, get around his followers. People who are already following Jesus, they'll help you learn how to follow Jesus. They'll really help you know who he is. And these are, again, all things you can do prior to having your mind made up about who Jesus is. Just like Peter for two years. But here he finally says, okay, oh, I get it. Because, you know, again, two, two weeks or first, first uh, sermon in this series we talked about, the way you actually get to know someone, the natural way you actually get to know who someone is, we all know, it's by spending time with them. That's how we get to know someone. And so Peter has spent time with Jesus, and now he's getting to know who he is. There's great benefit of following Jesus. Perhaps the greatest benefit of following Jesus is that you get to know who he is. So, friends, if you're, if you're you know, trying to still figure out who he is, follow and persevere. And also, let me say real quick, to those of you who already have trusted that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, can I also, just using Peter's example here, encourage you to persevere as well, but to persevere in helping your friends come to an understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. 
And sometimes <laughs> you have a friend, you have a family member, you have a neighbor, you have a classmate, someone that you really want, like, I just really want them to know who Jesus is and to know what Jesus has done for them, that they know how loved they are. You, you want that so bad, and you, you try to share the good news with them, and they don't seem interested, and you're like, well, I guess they're just not interested. <laughs> Two years it took Peter. Can you persevere? Let's persevere. And the friends will help you persevere and continue to point your friends towards Jesus. As if they're not projects to you, but they're, real, they're really your friends, you know? They're really your friends, and you're just going to keep journeying with them and pointing them towards Jesus and having the patience that Jesus had towards Peter and his disciples. So we just persevere in that. Okay, that was for free. Let me get back to the passage, all right? So Peter gets the answer right. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus responds to that in a way that would have completely shocked his disciples. Here's what he says, verse 30. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. It's like, wait, what? Like, wait. So we finally figured out who you are. We've been following you. Now we know who you are. Now you're the Messiah. Everyone needs to know you're the Messiah. Jesus says, oh, no, don't tell anyone yet. Think, why? Why would you say that, Jesus? I think there might be a number of reasons why he would say that. But in context, I think the, the, the real reason, the main reason he would say this is because Though they were right that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus knew that his followers had the wrong idea about who, what the Messiah was going to do. And so for them to start talking about Jesus being the Messiah, they would connect that to something that Jesus hadn't come to do yet. And so he said, hey, hang on. Now, it's helpful to understand the word Messiah is a Hebrew term. And uh, the Greek term for Messiah is Christ. So in case you didn't know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's, it's a title. It's the Greek title for, for Messiah. And Messiah, Christ, they mean the same thing. It means the anointed one or God's anointed king. And for centuries, the ancient Jewish people had been awaiting this Messiah, this God's anointed king who's going to come, and he was, in their mind, this, this king was going to be a military, a victorious military king who was going to set Israel free from oppression, and specifically, in this case, Roman oppression. And so when they said, like, Jesus, you're the one that God has sent. We see you're the Messiah. You're the king. They also said they were connecting in their mind. That means you're going to overthrow Rome and set us free. And she says, hey, don't tell anybody yet because you don't understand yet really who I am. Because I am. You're right. I am the Messiah. But see, I've come to do something you're not expecting me to do. In fact, that's why he says what he does next. He says this. Says, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must, that's the key word, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. And he was openly talking about this. Now, now this really would have shocked his followers because they were absolutely not expecting these to be the words that comes out of Jesus' mouth once his disciples had recognized who he is, that he's Messiah. Because up to this point right here, they had, no one in Israel had connected any dots between the Messiah being someone who would suffer. They hadn't connected the dots between the Messiah and, say, like uh, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. 
that in their mind, again, the Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to bring peace to, to, to the nation of Israel. But Jesus says, no, no, um, I have come to bring God's peace. And I've come to set things right, like you know the Messiah is going to do. I, I've come to set things right in this world and even in your own life. But it's not by overthrowing a governmental power. Now, I, I've come to do this. Because Jesus knew that in order to bring the peace that the Messiah would bring, it was actually going to come at the cost of his life. But the followers, they didn't understand that at all. I mean, this sounds ridiculous to them. But Jesus says, no, 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 this is, this is what I must do. Like, I, I must. And that's the controlling word for this whole sentence. You can read it this way. The Son of Man, that's Jesus' way of referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed and must rise after three days. He says, so this is what I've come to do as Messiah. This is the way I'm going to bring peace. This is the way I'm going to bring healing. This is the way I'm going to bring people back to God and reconcile them to one another. And at that, the disciples, like you think, how do they respond to that? Or they think, well, Jesus, that's amazing. Like, you're the Messiah, and we had no idea how amazing you are. Like, that you would come knowing that you would have to be killed, and that you would have to rise in order to save us, and yet you still came for us. And like, this is, this is amazing. You're even better than I thought. No, that's not what they said. Here, here's what happens. They, they hear this, and this is, so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> I just get a kick out of that. But Peter's like, okay, um, yeah, Jesus, I know that I, um, yeah, I just realized that you're the Messiah, and I just I made this big confession. You're the Messiah. I figured out who you are. But I, I'm also quickly beginning to understand that you're out of your mind, Jesus. Like, you must be out of your mind. And so I, I need to pull you aside, and I need to rebuke you. And this is really interesting, this word rebuke. It's an extremely strong word. It's, it means that, Jesus, that Peter used the strongest possible language to set Jesus straight. He's saying, Jesus, this, this whole idea about the Messiah coming and suffering and being handed over and being killed and rising again, like that's ludicrous. Quit saying that. Don't say that anymore, Jesus. That's not going to help. You got lots of crowds following you, but you start talking like this, people are going to leave. No one's going to make you the Messiah. So stop that. I think, well, why did Peter respond in that way? Well, we find out in Jesus' response to Peter's rebuke. Here's what Jesus says next, or what it says next. It says, but turning around and looking at his disciples, and so just kind of get a picture of this in your mind. Peter's pulled Jesus aside. He's rebuked him. <laughs> but it's, it's helpful to know, like Peter's just saying what the rest of the disciples are thinking. And so Jesus, knowing that, he says, oh, no, no, hey, let me turn back to all of y'all, okay? I need all of you to hear what I'm about to say. And then he says this. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> hmm. Get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Now, this is strong, isn't it? And Jesus says, okay, you're, hey, Peter, you're speaking the words of Satan. Now, you're speaking the words of the adversary. And here's why. It's because you're not thinking about God's concerns. No, no, the person you're thinking about is is you. The only thing you're concerning yourself about is you. And, and let's be honest, Jesus said to Peter, hey, let's be honest. You, Peter, like, it's been really good following me, hasn't it? 
I mean, you're just a, you were just a fisherman. No one even knew your name, but now you're with me, and like there's crowds everywhere we go, and like you're, I'm a big deal, and you're a big deal because I'm a big deal, and like life, like, but people want to be around you. They want to be around me. Like this is good. Life is good. Follow me now. You know I'm the Messiah. Now you're thinking, man, we're, we're in the inner circle of the Messiah. We've been waiting for this for the Messiah for hundreds of years, and now I get to be friends with the Messiah. Now the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to overthrow Rome, and I'm a part of the inner circle. Like this life is good. Peter's like, you know, I'm I'm feeling good about this, and now all of a sudden you're talking about dying and. Suffering, like I don't know about. And Jesus, hey, hey, Peter, look, you're relating to me as a consumer. Like your response right now, here's what it reveals: it reveals that you're in this whole relationship with me, this whole following me. You're in it for yourself, and what's what you have on your mind is what you can get out of this, and you're not even upset about the idea that I must be handed over and I must suffer and I must die and rise. Like you, you, you're just upset because of what that will mean for you. <laughs> he says, Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm rebuking you strongly, friend, because you, you just ex- this has just exposed something really, really big in your heart that's unhealthy. You're only in this for what you can get out of it. You're a consumer. Now, let me take another time out real quick. I just like to point this out every once in a while. But um, guys, this passage right here is another reason one of millions, or, well, millions may be strong, many, many, many <laughs> reasons why I believe the Bible is just so incredibly trustworthy and reliable. Because Peter was the, became the leader of the church. Right? And if Peter is a leader of the church, why would you include this in accounts of Jesus' life? Why would you include this in Scripture? It's because Jesus calls Peter Satan, right? That's not helping your reputation. It's like, oh, you're Peter, right? You're telling me about Jesus. Didn't Jesus say that you're Satan? Like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to listen to you. Why would this be included? There's no reason why this would be included unless it happened. And it was historically, it was reliably written down and included for us. It actually took place. It's just just quick aside, but just lots of reasons. I believe the Bible's trustworthy, this being one of them. Thought I'd point that out to you. But anyways, Jesus confronts Peter. Says, you know, you're just concerned about your own deal. Your man's concerns, not God's concerns. And so you're, you're treating me like a consumer. And then he realizes, hey, this is a good, this is a good teaching opportunity. Not just for the disciples, but for everybody that was around. And so look what happens next. Verse 34, he says, summoning the crowds along with his disciples. And so there's people, I mean, people follow Jesus all the time, lots and lots of people. And he's been having this conversation with the disciples, but now he says, no, 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 you know what? All of y'all need to hear this. Everyone who's around, come on, come on over here. Come on over here. Disciples, you get in the front row, Peter front and center. You definitely need to hear this, but I want everyone to hear this. All right. So come over here. This is teaching opportunity. And then he says this, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And friends, this is the pivot point in Mark. See, up to this point, 
following Jesus has been all about Jesus inviting people to be with him so they can know who he is. And now Jesus, having just been them figuring out who he is, he says, this is what I'm going to go do. I'm headed to the cross. He says, and if you're going to follow me, if you're going to keep following me, you need to know it's going to cost you something. Because if you're going to follow me and where I'm headed is a cross, that's going to require you to also deny yourself and take up your cross. And Jesus' disciples, they're not so sure what they think of that. See, um, this idea of denying yourself, we know what that means, right? I mean, you, anytime you, you've gone to a restaurant, you didn't get dessert, you, you denied yourself. You're like, I'm going to deny myself this thing I want. Denying yourself is just saying no to yourself and specifically saying no to yourself in regards to something that you want. Um, Jesus says, hey, you're going to follow me. You're going to actually have to, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to say no to yourself. There are going to be things that you want Things that you want to do that you're going to realize if you follow me, you're not going to be able to do those things. You're going to have to start saying no to yourself. And that's going to be hard. It's going to, it's going to be difficult. He says, in fact, it's going to be this difficult. He doesn't pull any punches here. He says, it's going to be like, you're going to have to take up your cross. Now, when we hear that, we, you know, the, the, the cross is this like sentimental, uh, you know, idea f- for the Christian faith. And, and uh, you know, we, we decorate our houses with crosses. We wear jewelry with crosses. And, you know, but the, the people who heard this at that day, <laughs> they didn't have that idea. There's, there's no warm and cuddly. It's like take up your cross. They, they had seen people dying on crosses. So when Jesus says this, I mean, they, they, like, they think this, this is an abstract. Like, they've seen it. They've, they've smelled it. They've heard the cries of agony coming from it. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you need to know if you're going to keep following me, given where I'm headed and what I've come for, you're going to have to take up your cross. It's going to require some suffering. Following me is going to require suffering. It's going to, and there's going to be times. And what's really interesting, in that crowd, literally at that day, there were people that this was incredibly literal for. Like there were people in that crowd that would actually go to the cross because of following Jesus, die on a cross for following Jesus. But for most of the people in the crowd, and for all of us, because I think it's safe to say none of us are going to ever die on a cross, right? So, you know, I hope I'm not wrong, but I think that's a safe statement. But for all of us, and for most of the people in that crowd, this, is a, this was metaphorical. I mean, this is just Jesus saying, hey, you're going to have to be willing to suffer. Then there's going to be times in your life when you're going to have to deny yourself, say no to yourself, and what you're saying no to yourself about is something you want so badly, something that you feel actually brings you life, whatever, like brings you a sense of like, this is like like life to me. You're going to have to say no to that, or you're going to have to say no to something that you feel like will bring you life. It's like, I want that so bad. It's like, no, no, you're going to have to say no, and it's going to feel like death to you. You're going to have to take up your cross. He says, that's what it's going to require to, to, to follow me. Because that's where I'm going. Um, now, it's probably, not, uh, it's probably not hard to imagine 
how the crowd felt when he said this. Perhaps it's really similar how you're feeling <laughs> right now. And this idea of denying yourself, I mean, that's never been a popular message. <laughs> Especially in our day and age, right? I mean, when we live in a culture where everything is about, hey, we should, the value we hold up is, hey, we should be able to get what we want when we want it the way we want it. I don't ever need to deny myself. Deny yourself it means you're losing. Like, we need to win by denying yourself. That's really what, and like Jesus, Jesus knew how his crowd that day was thinking, what they were feeling. And he knows what you're thinking. He knows this doesn't sound fun, doesn't sound attractive. But Jesus, he, he's so wise. And so in his wisdom, he, he speaks into that tension. And he speaks into the tension, what we're feeling whenever we hear, like, you got to follow, to follow me means to deny yourself. And here's, here's what he says. He, he gives them a promise. He gives everyone listening a promise. He says, before you check out, before you say, okay, hey, I, you know, Jesus following you has been great up to this point. Really enjoy the miracles. Enjoy a lot of the teaching, not so much this last part, but overall it's been, been really great. I've enjoyed following you, but now, now I'm going to have to peace out, right? Now I'm bowing out because this, this, I don't know if it's going to be worth it any longer to follow you. It's, it's going to cost too much. He says, hey, before you decide that, before you, before you go there, let me give you a promise. Let me just say something that's a reality. And he says this, verse 31. I mean, 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Now, let me real quickly, try to real quickly, explain what Jesus is saying here because I don't want you to be confused. So it might, because we, when we see, again, we've talked about this a couple of weeks back, but when we hear the word, we see the word save, we, we usually always tie that to eternal salvation, save from the penalty of our sins. And that's what, Jesus isn't talking about this here. That's not what he's leveraging to get people to follow him. He's, he, 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 you know, Ephesians 2, 89, amongst other places in Scripture, so many other places in Scripture, it just makes it so clear that when it comes to what saves us from the penalty of sins, it's not following Jesus, it's not the good works we do, it's not all this, you know, things. It, what saves us is grace. I mean, Ephesians 2, 89, for you are saved by grace through faith. Not by, not by doing things, but by believing that Jesus has done this for you, that he took your penalty on the cross. That's what saves you from the penalty of your sins. It's faith because it's a gift. It's a free gift from God. It's not for yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. It's not like, oh, I save myself because I follow Jesus. I deny myself, and I, I, just, I was so consistent in, in never doing what I want. I took up my cross every day. That's what saved me. No, no, that's not what saved you. You're saved by God's grace, what Jesus has done for you through faith. So you can't boast. And we can never say, I saved myself from my sins. We, we can't, no matter what we do, no matter how faithfully we follow. That's, that's all Jesus. So Jesus isn't saying that. He's not saying that here. He's not saying, this is, here, you know, here's why you should not check out following me. Is if you do, then you, you're, you're, you won't be saved from your sins. Now, if you go back to the passage, here's what he's saying. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Now, it's helpful to know this word lose in the Greek, it's the word apollomy. And apollomy just means to destroy by rendering something useless. 
It's kind, of, kind of strong to destroy but by rendering something useless. And he says, for everyone wants to save his life, will lose it, meaning will render their life useless. And whoever wants to save his life, meaning save, being hold on to, instead of denying myself and, and, and putting others, putting Jesus first, and you say, no, I'm going to use my life to please me and to go after my own selfish interests and my own selfish pursuits. If you think you're going to find life by living for yourself, saving on your life, holding on to your life instead of denying yourself and taking up your cross, if you think that's where you find life, here's the thing, you're going to lose it. Your life is going to be useless. And friends, don't we know this? Someone lives a selfish life. Just everything is about them and what they want and trying to accumulate stuff for them and live their way. We've seen it play out. I mean, their life, it, it amounted to nothing. It was just a waste. It was only about them. At the end, they lost it. They, it was a waste. It was rendered useless. But Jesus says, but whoever loses, and this says, renders your life useless in regards to using your life to pursue your own selfish interests. That you lose your life. You let go of it. You deny yourself. You take up your cross to follow Jesus. If you lose your life because of me and the gospel, we'll save it. We'll save it from being useless, from being meaningless to amounting to nothing. I mean, we just heard about the courages. And we then, all of us, right, we would look at them and say, yeah, I mean, this, this is an, an incredibly uh, uh, um, highly educated, really smart, awesome couple. And they could be pursuing the American dream and using their medical education in order to just accumulate a bunch of stuff and live for themselves. But instead, they're in Tanzania, loving people and pointing them towards Jesus and figuring out how to raise their kids in a foreign country, learning a new language. And we look at that and say, I wonder, I wonder if their life actually matters more. It's going to actually amount to more. Not matters more in the sense of value, but, mounts to, but matters more in the sense of what it's accomplishing, what God's accomplishing through their life, the, the, the ripple effects, how they're loving people. Like if they just chose to live for themselves, who gets the benefit of that? But if they give themselves away, look how many people are being impacted. Look at that and think, yeah, that, just, that's what I'm talking about. And so, I mean, if you don't want to deny yourself, you just want to live for yourself, you just need to recognize that that choice you're going to lose what you really want, a meaningful, significant life that matters to people and that honors God. And he tries to drive that home. He asks them two questions. Here's what he asks them. He says, For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? He says, hey, hey look, look, say you choose to not... Not to deny yourself. And you say, okay, I'm going to live for me. And I'm not going to live for you, Jesus. I'm not going to follow you, Jesus. I'm not taking up my cross. That doesn't sound fun. I'm going to just live for me. I'm going to pursue my own selfish interests, go my own way. He says, let's say you choose that and you are wildly successful. You gain the whole world. Whatever that means to you. Like all the relationships, romantic relationships, all the money, all the, all the stuff, all the fame, all the fortune, all that. You get it all. 
If at the end of your life you come to the realization, you know what, by living for myself, my life has amounted to nothing. It's been a waste. It's been meaningless. Would you not want to exchange all of your stuff to buy back a meaningful life, to have lived a meaningful existence? Jesus is assuming you would. I think that you would. I think I would. But here's the thing. You can't. It doesn't work that way. You can't get to your inner life and take all your stuff and say, you know what, I had all this stuff and I'm chased after living for me and all my own things, but now I realize that was a bad idea and so I'm going to exchange it and I'd like to buy a meaningful life. It's like, you can't do it. And here's the thing. In the end, this is really wild. In the end, all the stuff that you've tried to accumulate, all the stuff that you've been just by living for yourself, your own selfish interests, in the end, you're going to lose all that anyways, aren't you? You can't take it with you. Jesus, you know, Jesus is like, here's the point. You're going to lose it anyways. Why don't you, in light of that, choose to lose it now? Deny yourself now. Lose your life now. Take up your cross now. Follow me now. Because if you do, then you will actually save your life from being meals, from being rendered useless. Come on. Come on, follow me. Here's the invitation. See, initially, when Jesus says this, it feels like, man, Jesus, this is going to cost so much to follow you. i got to deny myself. i got to take my cross. Who wants to do that? This is, this is, the price is too high. But when you start thinking about it, what Jesus draws out here, you realize, you know what? This is actually the best way to live. This is actually the best way to live. I love the quote by missionary Jim Elliott. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So Jesus, come follow me. Come follow me. And Jesus makes one more statement to help drive home our choosing to follow him, even when it means denying ourselves, is the best choice. He says this. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And here Jesus just gives one more perspective check. Like, don't forget, this life is not all there is. One day I'm going to return in the glory of my Father, and we're going to be eyeball to eyeball. And you're going to give an account of your life. So live well, friends. Live well. Don't live for yourself. That doesn't amount to anything. Come on. I know it's going to cost you something. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take your cross. But come on. Follow me. Follow me. So we have a choice. The choice before all of us is, are we going to follow Jesus, even when it costs us something? Or is our relation with Jesus really more of a consumer relationship? Where I'm going to be around Jesus, and, but, but Jesus to me is, is my means, my hope to get my, my prayers or my wishes answered. Jesus helped me pass the test. Jesus helped me get the job. That's my relation with Jesus. He's just whatever he can do for me. Or is my, my, my relation with Jesus all about how I can feel fulfilled from him? Like he gives me a sense of inner fulfillment, but it's just all about what he can do for me. Or is my relation with Jesus all about just him being my savior? Like I trust Jesus that you died for me. 
He rose again. And so I know that I got my, my heaven ticket punched and, I, and I'm, I'm forgiven. But, you know, when it comes to this whole idea of living for you, like denying myself and losing my life for, on your account, I'm, I'm just really not interested in that. I mean, don't get, me, don't get me wrong. Jesus, I'm so glad that you lost your life on my account that I could actually have eternal life through you. But when it comes to our relation, I'm just not really interested in losing my life for you. I think I'm going to hold on to that. Is that what we're going to choose? Or are we going to choose to follow even when it becomes costly? Even when it means saying no to myself? Just something I really want. Even, like, I mean, just some examples. Like, there's, there's that guy, there's that girl you really want to date or you want to hook up with. And you say, I really want that. But you know what? I know if I do that, if I date this person or if I do this thing, man, that's, I can't do that and follow Jesus. That won't be following Jesus. So you know what? I'm going to say no to myself. I'm going to say no. It's going to feel so hard. It's going to feel like a death because I really want to go out with this person. I really do. But you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to follow. Or you say, look, man, when I'm honest and I evaluate my job right now, I just realize that my job I have to shade the truth in my job to make a sale. And I can't do my job well and follow Jesus. Or my job requires me to be gone so much from my family. And I know I cannot love my wife and my kids like Jesus is leading me to, calling me to. I can't follow Jesus and keep this job. And so you know what? I love this job. I'm making a lot of money on this job. But you know what? I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to start looking for another job. I'm going to follow Jesus. Or you say, okay, I love, I love having nights open, my weekends open, just to do whatever I want. But, but I know Jesus, I know Jesus, you say, being in Christian community is important. I know you say loving my neighbors is important, but I, 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 need, I realize I, I, can't, I can't keep all my nights open, use them just for how I want to use them and follow Jesus. But I sure want to have my nights and weekends open. What do I do? Uh, you know what, I'm a... I'm a I'm going to choose to follow. I'm going to deny myself. But I really want to buy that car. I want to go on that trip. And I, like, I just want it. I know I don't have the money to do it right now. I know that in order to buy that car or go on that trip right now, I'm going to actually have to not give any longer. I can't be generous. There's going to be just a season where I'm just going to cut back on my giving. I'm going to cut back on being generous towards others. But it's okay because I really want this car. I really want this trip. You say, no, no, no. You know what? Mm, it's hard. But I'm going to deny myself. And I'm going to take my cross. It's like a death. But I'm going to follow because I'm following Jesus. Friends, you just, I mean, there's a million examples here. You need to figure out what this looks like for you. But here's the thing. What would cause you or anyone else to do that? What would cause anyone to deny themselves in that way, take up their cross, follow Jesus? What Jesus says here, hey, you want to live a meaningful life? You want to live a life that matters, that like actually it's useful for eternally significant things? Lose it. Don't live for yourself. That leads to useless life. And I, I don't know about you. I find that compelling. But if I'm honest with you, not compelling enough. <laughs> but there's something else in this passage that I find even more compelling. Because here's what you need to remember. 
Jesus does not have this conversation until when? Until his followers had figured out who he is. And friends, if Jesus is not the Messiah, if Jesus is not the Son of God and the Savior of the world who has come and died for you and for me so that we can have eternal life through him and what he's done on the cross and his resurrection, if that's not who he is, then this whole idea of denying yourself and taking your cross and following him is stupid. Who would do that? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's just ludicrous. It's not worth even giving any thought to. But if that's really who Jesus is, then it's worth it. Because he's God. And he's not just God. He's not just king. But he's the servant king who went to the cross for us who lost this life, that we could have life in him. And in response to that, we say, yeah, okay, because of who you are, I'm going to lose my life on your account for the gospel, for, the, for your cause, because you're worth it. Jesus would say here, it's worth it. Deny yourself and live, <laughs> live for me. It's worth it. In the long run, you're going to see this leads to a meaningful life. But Jesus also waits to have that conversation once they know that not just it's worth it, but that he's worth it because of who he is. So the big question for us is, who do you th- say he is? Who do you say he is? If you don't know yet, if you're undecided, go back to what I said at the beginning of the message. Jesus has called to you at this time as just to get to know him. Come follow him in order to, to, to get to know who he is. But if you already know okay, he's, the, he's my Lord and Savior, then his invitation to you is, hey, keep following me, even though it's going to cost you. Because it's worth it. Because I'm worth it. So let me wrap up by taking communion, leading us to take communion. We do this every Sunday. We got tables in the front, tables in the back. If, uh, and, and this time is our time to be able to reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done. And as the question is in your ear, like, who do you say that he is? If you come to the communion table, there's this idea, like you, you're saying, like I know. Jesus, you're my God who died for me. Your body was broken. Your blood was spilled for me. You lost your life that I could find life in you. This is how you have loved me. And as you reflect on that, my friends, may I encourage you to ask God that may Jesus' life for you move your heart, compel you, to lose your life for him, to deny yourself, and to take up your cross and follow him. Let me pray for you. Father God, and will you give us wisdom to know what to do with what you've just been saying to us? For those of here that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, may, may you lead them to uh, follow, and may they find 
Lord, that Jesus is really uh, their Savior and Lord that loves them so much he died for them, that they could know you, be reconciled to you forever. For those of us who already believe that, God, I pray that you would uh, lead that truth and what Jesus has done for us to move us to follow Jesus faithfully, even when it's going to cost us something. God, would you show us what that looks like? And would you give us your power by your spirit within us to act for your glory, God, and for our good. For our good, God, because you said, Jesus, lose your life for me in the gospel and you'll save it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.